If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. Joining me now is the trust manager from the Gloria Vale Levers Support Trust, Liz Gregory. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. And the trust has been getting a lot of airtime through last year. So we thought it would be really prudent to get you on to find out a little bit more about what the Gloria Vale Leaders Trust is. So tell us how the trust started and the sort of work that you're doing. Right. Well, the Leavers Trust is looking to support people who have left Gloria Vale. But we didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, this, this is a nice little idea for, for a job opportunity. Um, it, it, it happened just um, incredibly naturally. A family left Gloria Vale around 10 years ago and came to South Canterbury and just happened to come to our local church. And so from there, there was a recognition that there was a lot of need and support and there were some incredible people in our congregation who really just um, took them under their wings and assisted this family. And so we we got involved and then their brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins started coming out. And um, I like to just sort of look for needs that are right there. And if I can help someone, I will. And, and there were people needing furniture and places to stay and contacts. And so, yeah, it just happened really naturally that we found ourselves quite immersed in, in this world. And in the past 10 years, more than probably 250 people have left Gloria Vale. Wow, um, as and, many as that. Yes, and a reasonably significant percentage of them have come into the South Canterbury region, have interfaced with us in one way or another, and we just continue um, friendship and relationship and support with mm. them. So for, for people that um, they may have just heard the name Gloria Vale but don't really know anything more about it, what is it? It's a restricted religious community on the west coast of New Zealand. Um, they call themselves a Christian community, but that has actually begun to offend quite a lot of people who have left Gloria Vale. Um, they would rather the Christian title was dropped from it. They believe it's yeah, causing a slur um, to the name of Christians across across our country. And so it's a religious group that just runs on um, very, very strict uh, rules and regulations. And they wear a, a, a uniform. Um, you know, they're in a, an isolated valley, like 80 kilometres away from Greymouth. So they're not um, interfacing a lot with the local community, although some do, those who have business interactions or people who do the grocery shopping or whatever. Um, so it's been a very closed community. Look, in the last two or three years, there's been a lot of uh, court action against Gloravale. And so they are kind of making promises to some government departments that, you know, they will change their ways. And so they're allowing some other government agencies and social service groups to go in and, and assist with some of their problems. But it's a it's just a slither of the problems they have that they're they're getting looked at. So, how many are sort of on the ground out there? Sort of any at any given time, what's the staticish number? Look, it's around five fifty to five eighty. Right. So the fact that you know a couple of hundred have left mm -hmm. over that sort of ten year period—that's a significant percentage. So, in your experience, having worked with a number of these families, what's the trigger? 
Oh, the trigger for leaving is, it's sort of variable, but it, all the same. Um, mm. It basically comes down to a lack of faith and trust in the leadership and that maybe what they were being taught wasn't actually the truth. Uh, that really hits people hard. And often, you know, leading up to those events could be issues of abuse um, occurring in the population. Maybe it's um, something that's happened to your children. It could be something that happened to you as a child, which is coming back to you and you recognise there's a pattern being repeated through generations. So there has been a lot of, of sexual abuse um, and physical abuse. Um, last count, the, the police put out some numbers that 17 had been charged and there were 18 still more under investigation. So that, that's a total of 35 members of Gloraval, potentially, you know, with criminal um you know, things to answer for. Um, they said over 138 potential victims, but asks anyone from Gloravale and they'll say that seems a bit light. Have they been convicted? Uh, yes, yes, there are many convictions occurring. There are men sitting in prison. Look, some have still got name suppression, so the general public probably aren't aware of the work that the police are doing. Mm. And the courts are busy. Very. I find it ironic that they've got name suppression because, I mean, <laughs> let's face it, it's a very, very closed book out there. I mean, they all know who they were and no one else in the wider community would know them at all, I would have thought. I know. Uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, we get to read, you know, if it's in the news, some of the reasons why they apply for their name suppression. And one of them actually said, because you know, my children would be... Um, perhaps bullied or harassed within the community <laughs> if their parents' name came out and we're just thinking, wow, that's that's absolutely rich, that, you know. Uh, it's just so crazy because, I mean, you know, if John Smith has popped away all of a sudden he's disappeared and he's away from the community, I don't think it would be a long draw to bow to figure out that something is deeply rotten in the state of Denmark, one would think. But anyway. I, I mean, the, the honest truth is they don't want the link to Gloria Vale. That's, right. The community is interested in its image management here, and it's it's not looking really pretty. And they know that um, their livelihood relies on businesses outside of Gloravale interfacing with them. So they're very concerned about businesses pulling out and refusing to do business with them mm. any any longer for financial reasons. Yeah. Has it, has it things changed since the passing of? Because a hopeful Christian has now passed, hasn't he? He has. He died in 2018. He was the principal leader for 40-something years, and then Howard Temple has taken over from him. Um, oh, I find that really interesting question, and um, the leavers um, inform me that it, hopeful still rules from the grave. He was there. We're into, you know, they're like 50-year-old community now. You, you're down at fifth generation being born. You've got um, ideology. It doesn't matter which leader is in charge. There are just things that this community are not going to budge on. And I want to be clear that um, part of their religious beliefs and the intention of the people joining the community, it was not, they were not joining a sex cult. Um, they, you know, it wasn't like an open place to go where all your needs get met. Well, not outside of marriage, uh, obviously within marriage, that was the intention for the men um, that that would occur. But so you're looking at people who went with um, good intentions, thinking that this group was going to meet some need in their life, perhaps a utopian view of things. But what you had was a leader who was, you know, incredibly narcissistic and had 
cult-like tendencies. And so very quickly people became entrapped by the bullying and the harassment, but also the charisma and the, mm. and the, the dream, the vision, you know, to serve the Lord and work together and share. But really I would dare to suggest that was just a pretext mm. um, for uh, someone who wanted to control, just wanted to have something. And so the ideology remains, even though Hopeful has passed. Uh, interestingly, in one of the employment court cases, the new leadership tried to maintain that, no, no, things were very different now since Hopeful had gone. We're a much more collaborative leadership team. Well, actually, that, that doesn't look good for them at all uh, because in the last five years there have been some horrific things um, happening and terrible stories of family separation um, and just, just lies. And, and so I don't think it's good for them at all. So I would say, um, yeah, Howard is a, slightly, is a different personality, but it doesn't matter. They don't intend to change things that Hopeful set up. They don't feel they have the power to because he said God told them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's incredible the um, the horizontal policing that oh. happens within a very small group. And you look at the, the sort of this isolated little petri dish that is Gloria Vale, and then you look at the wider community and society that we had in 2020, and you can actually see how they were able, how it can be achieved, isn't I it? I know. And during that time in 2020, during those times of COVID, one of the leavers, a male, wrote a poem. And he spoke about, and he, it was a parallel to life in Gloryvale. What would you want to go outside for? You might catch this terrible disease. There's a contagion out there. And, and you need to lock yourself away and isolate yourself in your home in case you catch this. And they wrote this striking poem. And uh, many Gloryvale leavers were really triggered through this period, they looked at us and said, can't you see it? Can't you see the, how the claws of control just come in? And everybody's just sitting there and they would say it. They're just sitting there asleep. But they had experienced how that, how those sort of techniques work. And so I, I just, yeah, and I, I felt like I had to um, just be a, a little bit of a fence sitter um, because when people come out of um, – cult-like groups that they've been in for years, there can be um, a tendency to jump on board at an extreme end of something. Yes, be very and vocal, yeah. you can, And so you can go down massive rabbit holes that actually, you know, you and I may, would probably agree are reasonably off, off the planet. <laughs> mm. um, and so it's um, I've, I found myself sitting in a balance saying, as a family, you're going to have to decide how to move ahead in 2020. You're going to have to work this out and make a decision because decision-making is really difficult for people who have come out of cults. Mm. Um, they've not been allowed to. And being sort of in this position and, and doing this job and, and some of the work that I've done, particularly I've done a lot of work prior to this uh, in the space of critical social justice, so I've been sort of battling that dragon for five or six years. But... You do it from a place of knowledge and facts, and you've got to take the emotion out of it. You have to take the emotion out of it because emotion can lead you into those extreme dark places, and you've got to take it always back to facts. And and I mean, I guess for your leavers, you know, that is such a tumultuous time for them. Oh. What they've gone through. So I can definitely see how you would have to sort of temper things um, and and sort of help navigate them through that mm. period of time. And it, that must, look, you know, I found it really triggering. I've had, mm. got a lot of 
I know a lot of people that come from Eastern Bloc countries, especially, who would just like your levers. I would say, I don't get it. I, I can't understand why. And like, can't people see what's happening? And no, they can't. And I know that if I weren't working in critical social justice and having been in that space for a number of years prior to COVID, I don't know whether I would have seen it either. It's it's sneaky. It, it is, is sneaky. really sneaky. It is. And so what happens is you live in this sneaky group. And so, and that's the way everything's done. So you you learn to then live like that. Mm. And so people coming out of the, these groups say they struggle with decision making, but they struggle with that sort of integrity as well. How do I how do I live in this new world, um, holding on to beliefs and values that I I hold dear and 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 standing firm on them and and not and not buckling and not living, not mm. living sneaky. Well, I guess too, because I mean, ultimately, this is, I think, the beautiful thing about your trust is the fact that it's, it's come out of a faith base. So you've gone and obviously founded it out of your church. I mean, some people have uh, missions in Africa. You guys have a mission on the West Coast, which I think is great. You know, charity that always begins at home, as they say. Uh, <laughs> so this is just wonderful. But that's just it. Your faith doesn't turn off. It's the faith in the community, isn't it, that's been oh, that's- put to test. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, we're not at all anti, anti-religious and, you know, our trust, we decided not to start it, say, out of our church. We mm-hmm. chatted and many of our church members are involved in it, but we started it as a separate, you know, secular charitable trust because we recognise that people coming out of Gloria Vale may not be interested in any faith-based assistance whatsoever because they have been abused, they have seen hypocrisy, they've been spiritually abused. It's a very um, it's a very sad situation um, that things that happened in the name of God were so appalling. Um, treatment of people, lack of love and care is just is phenomenal in there. And so, yeah, to start the trust was an opportunity to say, hey, Come one, come all. We'll help you regardless of your faith, whether you want to continue in it or not. We'll help you on whatever level you you choose. I think that's quite difficult for people in Gloria Vale to even comprehend mm. because I know people were, um, they always want to sort of be able to pay you back or like they lived in a world where if you did something kind for someone else, it was sort of an expectation of return. And here they are out here and people are just giving them furniture and support and they're not expecting anything in return and they really struggle to accept that people could just unconditionally love them and support them and not have any other agenda and want them to do what you want to do and so what are some of the life skills, the everyday life skills that you and I take for granted growing up um, outside in the, in the wider community? What are some of those skills for them? They are having to start from ground zero, start from scratch, because they, they're not taught that with inside the community. Yeah, obviously, there's just sort of everything practical from, you know, putting a CV together to the job application process. Um, but I think that, that and, and everything from grocery shopping to phone use, just everything standard you could think of. Um, but even concepts like insurance, vehicle insurance, these ideas, uh, insurance was bad in Gloria Vale, meant you didn't trust God. And so firstly, you have to show people that uh, there's a need for insurance. Um, and money, money management, I'm picking money management, been another one. A biggie. Um, in Gloraval, there was this concept of the woman's money, and that was like money that came from working for families and that was used for food and clothing. And then the men's money was sort of went business 
direction. And so you'd have the woman's, there's no budget, no money to buy toothpaste, but the men are going out buying a $10,000 farm vehicle. So there's a little bit of difference in the way men and women actually view the money as well when they come out. So there's a lot of um, sort of work to be done there, bringing them together that, hey, you're a family unit now. This is your family money. And together as a couple, can we encourage you to, to discuss money money matters? There are so many issues. I think the biggest one is actually just, this is we're a different culture. So they're coming into a world and there's culture shock. And so think of everything that would entail. If you just left your home today, you jumped on a plane with barely a backpack, you took your 10 children with you, you landed with no money in the middle of, I don't know, pick a country, pick a place, Mumbai. You didn't really know anybody. And you stood around and you looked around and you thought, oh, uh, I don't speak the language. I don't recognise these streets. Maybe you have a driver's licence, maybe you don't. Like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So the reality is the culture shock. And I think the communication barriers are potentially some of the more difficult ones. I think the issue is I leave is when they're living in there, they don't realise that. Mm. They think they feel very comfortable in their world over there. When they come out here, they're not quite recognising that, yeah, we're, we're slightly Different. Yeah, slightly different. I just see a tremendous resource because, I mean, there'd be a lot of practical skills that would have been taught particularly to the men and, and the women there. And I know they must surely, those levers have enriched the South Canterbury community that you live in tremendously with the skills that they've got. And there's huge potential. Like I'm here in Hawke's Bay and the uh, my day job, the day business, I know one of the biggest things we struggle with is finding people with requ- requisite skills to be able to fill into to roles. So it's the, the opportunities for them probably, they're out there, they probably, it might be quite overwhelming that they are out there for them. Yes, extremely overwhelming. It's one question we have learned not to ask when someone leaves Laurelvale. We don't ask what would you like to do because they really don't know what they like or what they don't like because in Laurelvale you didn't have likes or dislikes, you did what you were told. So we would ask what... um, what have you been? What have you been doing? You know, what have you been working in, and how did you feel about it? And they might be able to articulate they liked it or didn't, but it's it's difficult. So they do have some very specific great skills. Just reading the fabulous uh, farming magazine, and one of the um, young fellows that left at fourteen, he's now in his twenties, married, and um, he's right into the juicy cows. I mean, this I read this article, and I was just it was just gobbledygook. Um, but I, I just recognise what a talent and a gift this this guy has in farming. And, of course, that's come from, you know, up until 14, he was probably milking cows at, you know, six and seven, whatever age they started, eight or nine. And so he's developed a love of farming. And that, But not all who worked on the farms actually enjoyed the farm work. But many come out and go into farming because it affords them a house, somewhere they can tell their family, it's more rural, which appeals to them, the isolation, and it's something they feel like they could do because at least they've got some experience in it. But then different ones will move and morph in different directions. But look, yeah, there are, um, there's enormous, we've got seamstresses who opened up curtain businesses and all sorts. Um, yeah, yeah there are strengths, but it's again, it's the community. You can't just open a business if you're too scared to talk on the telephone or if you're not sure how to open a conversation with someone. 
So there's this time period that that needs to pass before someone feels confident about their skills, that they've actually got something to offer, that they're mm. not just drowning in this new world, which yeah. really is the first year or two. It so, is. So you mentioned work. So let's sort of hive off into the court case last year, which made headlines, which was around uh, what is an employee? What is a volunteer? So tell us a little bit more about that if people haven't caught that, um, you know, caught up with that from 2023. Yeah, an absolutely brilliant masterstroke genius from um, the lawyers um, because they we were interfacing with the government over why is no one looking into the global exploitation of employees situation? And we had... Um, sent letters to MBIE, that's the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. The Ministry of Everything. Ministry of Everything. (laughs) It's their job, we thought. Um, And, you know, they they were um, sort of listed as a group of interest back in 2016. I think there was a charity services investigation. Why is Glorabell still a charity? And so MBIE were told to go and take a look, and they did a little paperwork exercise, desktop review, never went there, and then decided there was nothing to see here. And it got buried. Well, oh, we never even knew that report existed. Had we, would have, would have made more of a fuss at the time. And so then three years ago, when a civil lawsuit was launched, which was basically some levers trying to remove the trustees of the Glorabelle Trust, um, as conversations went on, it became apparent in the public sphere that, you know, why wasn't someone doing something about the employment? So one of the journalists from TV3 contacted like Andrew Little and said, what's going on here? Bingo. Andrew Little does some investigating, finds that there's this report that was buried and says, hmm, we must take another look at this. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're out with protest signs saying slavery at Gloryvale, forced labour. Come on, what are you doing? And the response was, we will do a pre-investigation to see whether we need to investigate. So their pre-investigation involved um, interviewing, I don't know, like 17 Gloryvale leavers, and then they went into Gloryvale for their pre-investigation and interviewed like, I don't know how many, 35 in there. And, of course, Gloryvale says it's all glossy, we're happy to be here, we love it here, we're volunteers. The leavers are like, it was like slavery and forced labour. There's this massive divide between the two. Guess what the Labour Inspectorate decided? Nine months it took them. It sat with Crown Law for nine months to give the advice, and Crown Law said, hmm, on the balance of probabilities, I think if we took Gloribel to court, you know, basically we wouldn't win. That's the, that's the, yeah, what was going on in the heads. And they said, I think on the balance of it, they're volunteers. We couldn't believe it. Do you think it was a case of, oh, out of sight, out of mind? You know, totally. just, they're, they're in the, the back the back blocks of the West Coast. Oh, no one else gets to see them, so let's not worry about them. Worse than that, they're, they're, when I read the report, they didn't want to touch religious freedom. Uh, they said, the irony. I know. That's what I think. <laughs> I'm like, this is interesting. No, they said this is a group that's like has their own religion. Basically, they've got their own book and they're kind of, living by it and people are happy too and we said that's where you don't understand coercion and control you guys are not familiar with these concepts and you should be um and so you know they they became very familiar with them over time but anyway continue (laughs) so within like four weeks I remember ringing Brian Henry who's the leavers lawyer and said 
Brian, I'm so annoyed at these, you know, these government officials. Why can't they see this? This is appalling. He said, send me, send me everything you've got. <laughs> Within a few weeks, he'd gathered up plaintiffs, and that was the boys' case, the courage case. Three male plaintiffs. He said, let's go with the boys. Let's get a win and show that these boys were working in businesses and they were not being paid and they were being exploited and it was classic employment. And so that's what happened. But guess what? The lawyers were so smart. They didn't take Gloria Vale to court. Gloria Vale were not the first defendants in these employment cases. The government was. Wow. So Okay. That's why it's hit the news. It's not because the levers have taken Gloria Vale to the employment court. No, no, no. No, the lawyers and the plaintiffs took the attorney general to court in his role as head of government organisations, specifically MBIE and WorkSafe, for their failure to recognise exploitation when they should have seen it. And defendants number two were Gloria Vale. Yeah, and of course, with that buried report, there was already a chain of evidence. Evidence sitting there, we've got a lot of it. So that's why it hit the headlines. This is the government being sued. So the employment court um, case really was split into three parts. First part, was it employment? Were they volunteers or employees? And so that had to be the first part. Second part was, so who was the employer? Because if the government's going to act against someone or, or organise compensation, who? Who is this person? Is it the overseeing shepherd? Is it the group of servants and shepherds? Is it the Christian Church Charitable Trust? Because they owned businesses that these boys were working in. Is it the business directors? And yet the court case showed they were just like figureheads. The business managers and directors never had a clue what was going on so who's the employer really important question who who has to pay up and then the third stage and we're waiting on the third stage this part hasn't happened yet um the government in the dock answering for their failure to recognize the exploitation so really three-part court case two bits down one to go wow so that's hopefully going to unfold this year yes i'm hoping Definitely. Oh, gosh, it's so oh. incredible. And then the boys, within two weeks of the boys beginning their court case, the legal team filed the second court case before and the first one even finished. And, and this was for the women, yes? The women. And the women were more difficult. The women weren't working in classic businesses. They weren't in the farming or the honey industry. They were working for the whole community, doing cooking and cleaning. Is this employment? Is this just you working for your family, your wide family of 600 in your home, up in a, what looked like a commercial kitchen, but Gloria Val just says is their family home? And so the judge has found that it was employment. The girls were born to do it. They were rostered. They had absolutely no choice in the matter. And if you chose not to do the work you were allocated, your choices were leave the community and go to hell. Okay, so this is not looking like volunteer work. Mm. It's just so incredible. Now, Gloria Vale are appealing the girls. They didn't appeal the boys. They're appealing the girls' decision. They know this marks the end of how their community operates. Quite serious if they can't have their young girls propping up the community like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a article, uh, I think it was in the post um, at, towards the end of last year, glory of our leaders have been refused the chance to appeal on four grounds in the employment court case that ruled that the group of women were employees when they worked in the community. So, yeah. That's it. Now, it was, the appeal was largely dismissed. The judges mm. have actually held off on two points and have invited more submissions. So we're just in that process now. Stage. And you know what the those were about? Finer points of law about how this particular case might set a precedent for other religious and volunteer organisations. Mm. So they're nervous about this being used as a precedent. Uh, and they also want a bit more information on the agency of the plaintiffs within the global community, agency being your ability to make decisions. And obviously we know that, that there was no capacity for them. It was um, a stark no. choice. You well, stay and do what you're told. And, 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 and one of the things that I've discovered is that courts are – very nervous mm-hmm. about setting precedent with anything. And as you said, this could create precedents with uh, other religious and volunteer communities, but it also goes to setting precedents in terms of, I think, uh, what is coercion and what isn't? What does agency look like? What does um, being applied to do something, you know, without actually having any other choice? And that can actually spill over into a great many things. So. And we don't have coercive control laws yet in New Zealand. Now, they have them now in New South Wales and Queensland. They're, they're around the world. They're growing. But they're normally within the realm of domestic harm and violence within intimate family violence. But actually, Gloraval is an intimate family violence setting. Um, there is a, it's family harm on a mass scale. So, yeah, we're interested in where New Zealand goes with that law, how it would apply. But I don't have a problem with this ruling being used as a precedent. If Europe an organisation, religious or not, who behaves as badly as Gloraval does, restricts people's freedom of thought and movement, puts them in bondage, forced labour, social entrapment. I don't care if you've got a religious veneer or not. And then you're exploiting people in the workforce. You need to have, you need to be brought to task. And if this precedent is the one that gets you hauled into court, good. Mm. I don't believe that the matrix of facts is going to apply to, you know, 50 other religious organisations in New Zealand, but it might apply to a few, and mm. perhaps they need to be brought to task. Uh, the ruling that came out of the case last year, you would have been pleased with the result? Yes, there were two parts to it. Obviously, the first being that they were employees, so that was spectacularly significant, and yeah, the judge found they were, and then she needed to take some time to think about who was the employer, and so that's the one that just came out towards the end of last year, and yeah, it made sense. Um, look, these were girls who were working for the wider community. They weren't working for any businesses or any other group, and so she found that the employer was the overseeing shepherd, and she went to great pains to explain it. It wasn't just sort of the role of the overseeing shepherd or the office, it was that, but also the people who have have fitted that role. And so she talked about Hopeful Christian being up until his death, um, and then Howard Temple now, and then even moving forward, it would be the expected um, overseeing shepherd of Stephen Stanfast. So that was quite a significant moment. Gloria Vale had argued that up until Hopeful Christian's death in 2018, that because he was now dead, anything that had gone on prior to that in the employment employment sphere, um, any liabilities or responsibilities he had ceased. They tried to argue the sort of contractual ceasing approach. 
Um, however, the judge spoke about something called innovation, which is where you have someone take over all the responsibilities. There's just a seamless transition. Everybody understands all the parties to the contract, which Gloribel says there wasn't a contract, but she said, you know, there is effectively one. It, it manifested itself in the work people did and the way they mm. did the work. Yeah, so basically one overseeing shepherd just rolls to the next. There's an expectation that life just trucks along as normal in Glory Vale. So, yeah, she's made a ruling that has definitely, you know, opened the gates and paved the way for the next step. So what is that next step? The next step is those plaintiffs, if they would like to, can go to the Employment Relations Authority, the ERA, and lay a claim against Gloraval for exploitation and any lost wages, compensation, and I guess humiliation and every everything else that they might feel they are in, entitled to, holiday pay. Mm. Yeah, so that could, potentially could be massive. Now, did Gloria Vale have the financial ability to be able to fight this in court or even pay the compensation for these women? Well, certainly do. Um, their annual return from last year showed $27 million in income. Uh, the year before that was around $21 million. The year before that was $20 million. Before that, it was $19 million. So where does all this money go? Oh, that's the biggest question. I think um, most obviously are their new purchases of land. They have purchased properties and they've got these lease agreements and, and they've actually paid out Brunner. So Lake Brunner is worth, from memory, you can't remember, maybe $8, 9000000 million. This is their community about 30 kilometres away. Their new community, their second community. These guys aren't satisfied to just have one community. They want to actually, their model, they admit it in court, is to create multiple smaller communities. And so they're trying to get this Lake Brunner up and running. They're doing that now while pleading they don't have money to pay compensation. The question is, where does their money come from? Well, they've got 400 children under 20, so maybe 350 of them are under 18. Well Working for families' tax credits. Well, so that was my going to be my next question. Because if that is if they are claiming those working for families tax credits, where's the SFO in all of this? Oh, um, absolutely silent. Because surely if they're deliberately doing non-payment to families uh, for their work in inverted commas and not paying them, so therefore they're not receiving an income so they can lodge a tax return or even a, a pittance of an income so they can lodge a tax return in order to qualify for tax credits, which they then pocket. I mean, that's got to be exploitation 101, I would have thought. Well, it gets more complex than that. Gaurabha says, we do pay our people. And actually, there was this underground, they've created a partnership so that they could put all the money and the earnings in, pool it, and then Gloriava would separate it out according to the the taxes to make it um, work better for their family tax credits. And so lots of people were allocated an income of just under the thresholds. And so tax was paid on those individual incomes, had nothing to do with how and when you worked. It was completely unrelated mm. to the working. They just, people joined the partnership, you know, when and how it suited the the managers for whatever reason. And so that um, created a lot of people in there earning under that sort of, is it $14,000 tax threshold or under the $30,000 tax threshold. So they were paying tax on that. Then they were effectively, um, they weren't giving it to the people. The people apparently agreed to donate it back to the 
charitable trust getting themselves a 33% tax rebate. And so it was a really great mechanism. So the Leavers lawyers said, this is just like a tax scam, basically. Like, how come no one can see this? But I guess um, people are allowed to donate their money to other groups and organisations if they like. The problem is it's now been established in court that there were servitude-like conditions. People were living in a socially entrapped environment. They had lack of agency. There was control and coercion. So, yeah, where is the serious fraud office? I have no idea. Wow. Never, never heard that they expressed any interest. The IRD, no idea. Don't seem too worried. Gosh, you know, and when you think about the efforts that they went to in 2023 to chase those with COVID payments yeah. and repayments, I wonder how many COVID payments were actually claimed by Gloria Vale, because I bet you dollars to donuts, they were on the phone to MB Lickety Split to get some of that money. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I never heard anything about that. Um, yeah, not sure. But And obviously the rest of their money is coming from businesses. So they had a meal plant and dairy farms um, and yeah, various other, oh, ah, they did have a honey factory now defunct and they did have various other businesses over time which are no longer in existence. They're not, uh, lots of levers would say they, they weren't exactly the best financial managers of businesses. You didn't get your job as a business manager because of your business experience or prowess. It was really your loyalty to the management and, and Hopeful and Howard and the system. Because if you were someone who was great at um if you had great ideas or initiative you weren't really respected in there no one was supposed to have a good idea or run with it unless you were higher up the food chain and so you've actually got some brilliant people who would have made fantastic managers and really managed the businesses properly so like brian henry's lawyer said they've got more than 65 million dollars in assets and so he said they've got 65 million reasons not to want to part with this money and compensation too. Mm, absolutely. Well, we're going to have to watch the space this year, aren't we? Because I Definitely. think this is, this is just the beginning. Yes, and the next part after that, this has paved the way for part two. Obviously, they can go to the Employment Relations Act. Most importantly, the judge made it very clear that the doors are now open to continue the third part of this court case saga, which is um, the government's breach of duty. So she's asked for a timetabling of the hearing to begin that process. But the Labour Inspector at the government are saying this isn't the right court to hear that in. We we refute that the employment we should be we should be taken to the employment court for our failure to act on employment issues. So they would like it moved to another court. Of course they would. Possibly a court that requires a higher standard of evidence against them. Yeah, well, yes, indeed. Well, well we're going to, we, we go, look, Lewis, we're going to stay in touch on this because I think this is an unfolding story and it's fascinating. Now, if people want to get more information about what you do in terms of the Levers Trust, where can they find that? We have a website, gloraboutlevers.org.nz. So they can go there. We've got quite a comprehensive um, setup there for people to make contact, donations, support. Um, resources, news articles, blogs, you name it. It's quite a full some website and there's more going on in the next year. So Yeah, no, I'm because I'm just thinking too, there could be people out there with businesses uh, that are needing good, solid people. And if, um, you know, they might be able to offer 
uh, work or employment or a, a home even for some of these leavers, you know, and and get them help help them resettle with your help. So, yeah, no, that's well, it's really grateful to hear from that. It, it's nice to think there are people across New Zealand who are, are willing to do that, and we have a little database here and people who ring in and, and offer. We we do take their details, and sometimes it might sit there for six months or a year, and then out of the blue, as a family leaves and expresses some interest on where they want to go, and they'd like our help. We we often find ourselves trying to match up, match yeah. people up. We're really grateful for the public's interest in this and the support they give leavers. We've also got a Facebook page, and we have our newsletter, Friends of the Trust, it's called, and we send that out four times a year. Give people updates on what we're doing, what leavers are doing, achievements. Yeah, it's oh, really- no, honestly, Liz, it sounds wonderful, and it is truly God's work. So, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. This has been Liz Gregory from the Gloria Vale Leavers Trust, Leavers Support Trust. Uh, and as she said, check out their website and all their other details. Get that newsletter, and uh, I'm definitely going to get Liz back as these court cases unfold because this is, I think, a story that we have to watch. Uh, more here to come with Reality Check Radio. More talk, more conversation, and of course, even a little bit more music here on Counterculture. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.